0: And now, coming to you live from mid 2, the 74th World Science Fiction Convention in Kansas City, Missouri, it's Jonathan Strahan and Garrett K. Wolfe and the wonderful and multiple award-winning Connie Willis on the Cooch Podcast! Yay! Yay. <laughs> Second time's a charm. All right,
1: thank you so much for being with us. You've thank never been you. on our podcast before. I haven't.
2: Unbelievable.
1: <laughs> And we've got a lot to talk about. We've got to talk about everything we've never talked about since you've never been on the podcast.
2: Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> but,
1: but Perfect. Starting off with Crosstalk, which is okay. the funniest science fiction novel of at least this year, if oh, not thank many you. years. And thank you. people don't write very many funny science fiction you novels.
2: You know, they don't. And the reason for that is that it's hard. <laughs> Comedy <laughs> yeah. is hard. As uh, Edmund Gwynn said, and or else somebody else did. Um, the It's not... E- you know, you can have you can have a serious novel that is brilliant in places and good in most places and passable in other places, mm-hmm. and and get away with it. And in fact, most serious novels that's what they that's are. That's what they do. But a, a comic novel that doesn't work. You got it's got to be funny all the way. It, if it's not funny, it's appalling. I mean, it, there's there is no middle ground. There is no <laughs> sort of funny. There right. is no passably funny. It's either really funny or it's it's just.
1: Abjectly awful. I joke, well, one of the tests of uh, for me in reading a novel, and it's very seldom that this happens, is if you get, not all the time, but some of the jokes make you laugh out loud. Reading, uh, sitting alone in a room, uh-huh. or alone in the park, which is even stranger. Right. <laughs> um, and that happened a few times with me. My favorite line, and I, I'm not giving anything away because it has nothing to do with the plot, was when, okay, we should talk a little bit about, this is a novel about telepathy, and I want to talk about that right. also. Okay. And getting unwanted messages from people around you some of whom have earworms that they haven't got the lyrics straight for you know where i'm going with this yes and my favorite one was she keeps hearing this person singing joy to the world the lord has gum yes Yes. that was great good and how long is and there are hundreds of these things throughout the whole
2: novel oh well thank you yeah, well, you know, i, I am a, I am an anti information age person. I think we are bombarded all the time with information, and the problem is that we we don't have the information we need, but we have all kinds of extraneous information, mm-hmm. and and most of it we're able to shut out, and occasionally it is so terrible that it that it intrigues us. I mean, I, I go to I work at Starbucks a lot. And I hear, overhear occasional, what, wait, what, you know, uh, <laughs> kinds of conversations where the, the girl says, I don't know, my mom still hates him. I mean, I told her, he's been out on parole for five months and nothing's happened. <laughs> <laughs> you just cannot help <laughs> but exactly. up at that. So that's the kind of information you like, but most of the information is just not necessary. And, and it, it interferes with our thought processes and stuff. And hmm. so... Uh, when when people, I'm occasionally on panels about telepathy and stuff, and people sound like they think it's a good idea. I'm like, what? What are you talking <laughs> about? It's terrible. It's a cesspool out there. You don't want to don't listen what to what people, people think. Out. And the only thing that's been, enabled me to stay in this field all these years is that no one knows what I really think. <laughs> because, and I used to say, well, when I hit 60, then I'm going to start telling people what I really think. And then when I hit 60, I realized that if I did that that would be the end of my career immediately so then I'd have to wait till I was really old and ready to get out. I'm not quite there yet but I'm getting closer Let me <laughs>
1: This is a pretty good sized novel for somebody who's thinking about checking out. Well, that's said. true.
2: I'm not really checking out no. yet, which is why I'm also not saying what I really think but occasionally I do wow. and, and I just you know the, the fact our entire society is based on all the things that we don't say to each other. this true. morning this morning Courtney and I got lost. Um, mm-hmm. our cell phone or something let us down, and we ended up in the wilds of North Kansas City. Okay, a dangerous place. <laughs> I gather. And we had no way. We could see downtown, but we had no idea how to get there. And since you only have your phone now, you don't have maps, and you don't have all these right. other things. And so, so anyway, so we're still married. <laughs> and the reason we're still no. married is because... Our thoughts were, we were able to keep to ourselves and we were able to say calm things mm-hmm. like, Well, how about if we try this? And are you sure you checked that? And maybe if we just drive in this direction, we'll get there eventually, things like that. But we didn't say really, I know that you put this address in wrong. (laughs) If you had written down the address correctly, this never would have happened. And things like that. We kept all those to ourselves. Well, that's a good marriage.
1: But on the other hand, I've heard you tell stories about being driven around by Charles
2: Brown. Who never kept anything to himself. Who never kept anything to himself at all. (laughs) That's true. That's true. And as a result, that's why Charlie was frequently being threatened. I always was saying that I was going to tie him to the top.
0: Which <laughs> probably became a good thing to do. It
2: would have been a good thing to do, and I came very, very close a couple of times. Also, came close to tumbling him out of the car on those stretches down in New Mexico, eastern mm. New Mexico, where he <laughs> would have found him. His bones would still <laughs> be out there. And so, it was that was really tempting. So, uh, he, yeah, Charlie, Charlie very rarely kept things to himself. The worst thing Charlie ever did to me, absolute worst thing was. Uh, The little town of Portalis, where they have the Jack Williamson Lectureship, is a little town. It's tiny. Hmm. However, it's really possible to get lost in it because the old part of town is built uh, in reaction to the railroad. So it's like a grid... But a, a grid going on a diagonal as the train tracks come through uh-huh. town. Okay, and then as the town got bigger, then they then they righted the grid and made it a north-south grid. Okay, so you've got a grid, and then you've got a, like, angle an angle, and an angle, you've got an angle. Okay, so it's easy to get lost, even though it's a small town. So one night after the lectureship panel, we were going back to Jack Williamson's house, and I was driving, and I was leading a caravan of like five cars, and I got hopelessly lost. In this slanted part. And this is a theme of this podcast. (laughs) And so, anyway, so I'm lost and so frustrated. I finally stopped the car, got out of the car, walked back to the people behind me and said, Do you have any idea where we are? I'm lost. And they said, Yes. And I said, Good, pull around me and, you know, and uh, you leave. And so I get back in the car and Charlie says to me, What are you doing? And I said, I'm letting them lead. They know where Jack's house is. And he said, I know where Jack's house is. And I said, why didn't you say something? He said, because I love watching you be lost. Oh. <laughs> now, um, I did not throw him out of the car. No, but... but when we got to Jack's house, I walked in the house. I walked straight up to Jack and said, Keep him away from me for the rest of the evening, and I won't be responsible for what happens. And he did, and it was all good.
1: And Jack was always a sweetheart.
2: Jack was always a sweetheart, and Charlie and I drove home fairly amicably together. But I've never forgiven him for that. No, I mean, and
1: I think we all have stories like that. Not quite that dramatic, I think.
2: Let's talk a, a okay. little bit about telepathy.
1: Because okay. one of the things I was noticing... Um, is the telepathy used to be really popular in the late 40s and early 50s? It was. It was everybody was doing. Maybe it was because of Campbell and 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 uh, Ryan and that sort of thing. And you've got a lot of that. A lot of the history of telepathy and Brighty Murphy's. Yeah. And, and you must love doing research. I love
2: and I love the whole Bridey Murphy thing. That was yeah. Colorado. Yeah. That was Pueblo, <laughs> Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. yeah, she was our girl. I'm ashamed to say.
1: <laughs> but but then this it, it is this is a theory I'm working on, which is I, I do in my reviews. The telepathy kind of died out because people realized, hey, all the Ryan stuff was fake. You know, none of it really works. And, and so it's one of these impossibilities that, as science fiction does, right. Like time travel. It's right. not going to work. And yet, what you've done is taken unusable science fiction ideas. Right. Time travel, if you want to write a Jerome K. Jerome novel, you use time If you want to write an end-of-the-world novel in the Middle Ages, you use time travel. That's what it's good for. Right. It's a narrative trick. And now, you. you found out... What telepathy is for?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I was drawn to was simply that the. the all the, there are a lot of telepathy things, like you said, you mm-hmm. know, dying inside and... And, and, yeah, and for that. Yeah, and sure. slang, yeah, and uh, tons of short stories, but they were all really depressing and grim. Mm-hmm. And none of them were funny, and I I thought, you know, that's the one thing nobody's done with t- telepathy, exactly. is to give a funny take, and it would be funny, it's funny, embarrassing, but, you know, when I get my ideas, they're more like, they come from a bunch of places, and, like, one of the places I got this from was a panel which was being moderated by this jerk of a <laughs> and he and I said what I just said to you guys you know our society is based on the fact that we don't say what we're really thinking and he said Connie when have you ever not said what you're thinking
0: yeah. and like, you're thinking oh, like I, right, right now, now <laughs> right
2: now you jerk and if you knew what I was thinking you had me just blown. so that was one premise and then saw that awful Mel Gibson movie what women want oh. that where he could hear what women really think women don't really think any of those things they think <laughs> zero of those things they never think about how guy how big a guy's penis is trust me right. they, don't. they just don't oh. and so it's it, it was a ridiculous movie and it was but it was also so completely self-serving he only heard what he wanted to hear he all, only heard he had complete control over what was incoming. And mm. without any explanation for why that would be, whereas I thought the problem would just be din. You yeah. know, you're yeah. just going to hear all this stuff you don't want to hear, and how do you, how do you sort it out, and how do you figure out who it is that's talking to you? Because, um, you know, people do not say in their thoughts. You don't sit here no. going, "I, Jonathan Strawn." You know, think uh, this. <laughs> yeah. I went from this place, this old. You know that you don't give any yes. identity. You know who you are, so you yeah. don't think that. And so telepathy is full of that problem, mm-hmm. and full of the problem that when we when we talk or when we think in our heads, we all sound like Trump. You know, it's all random and unfinished yeah, and bizarre and uh, no filter and all that stuff. So so those are those all make it really hard. And I just thought it would be fun to to mess with. Plus, well, I, mean, I always loved those telepathy stories. I loved. Those telepathy yeah, telepathy you always stories. wanted
1: them to do something more with it. Yeah, uh, and and so and so merging it, it seems to me, merging the telepathy thing with the screwball comedy with the Howard Hawks and Preston Sturgis thing, where you can read Catherine Hepburn's thoughts by her expression or right. Cary Grant. Exactly. And and so you're just putting that really in the novel in italics.
2: Right. right. Uh, That's right. Well, and also, you know, the, the serious aspects of it. I mean, the whole idea. People, you know, I, I, I always find science fiction writers to be, they'll kill me for this, but really naive, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they don't. I spend my whole life thinking about unintended consequences, and they, this never seems to occur to them. I had this conversation with two writers the other day that was about immortality. I'm like, you don't want to be immortal. Here's why you don't want to be mm-hmm. immortal. And they're like, no, no, it'd be really cool. I'm like... You haven't thought this through all. You're like that bank robber who doesn't have a getaway car and has to check the city bus. You are not thinking properly. And so um, so with telepathy, they are always like, Well, I could use this, I could do you know, I could get computer passwords and I could do this. And I'm like, no, wait a minute, wait just a darn minute here, because because first of all, if you think that you could be telepathic and that anyone else could find out about it, and that the NSA would not be at this door right this second knocking. You're crazy. You're crazy because people would love to get a hold of that kind of thing. So many people that you, individual person, would never stand a chance. And, and so this wonderful gift that you think you could use for whatever mm-hmm. purpose is is ridiculous. And then secondly, you're not going to be able to you you know, you think you're going to be Spider-Man. And you're going to be able to get out there and you're going to stop murders. Except how do you tell the difference? I think when I'm standing in line behind the woman I was in line with this morning, (laughs) thinking, I want to kill you and cut you in a million pieces. And how do you tell the difference between that and the person who really...
1: It's going to do something. it's
2: going to kill somebody and cut them in a million pieces. And that used to be explored in stories. There was a great story called The Circuit Riders back in the 50s hmm. in which they'd come up with a technology that kind of dealt with that, how to how to spot the real criminals among the just angry people. Hmm. I don't think I know that story. Great story. And so so I thought, you know, that's the other, you know, you've got endless problems. Or you're Spider-Man, but you don't you don't know who this person is. You're hearing them right. plan here, here, this here. meticulous robbery or murder, but you have, you don't know where he is or who he is or if he's in London or if he's here or, Mm -hmm. you know, if he's next door or whatever. And and so how do you spot him? I mean, that creates, that could be a really good story because it would create all the problems if you're trying to figure out who
1: it was. I think there was a movie, no, not a movie, maybe it was Maybe I'm misremembering, but there was a Nancy Drew or a Hardy Boys when they got a shortwave radio and they start hearing somebody plotting a bank right, robbery they and don't they don't know, know who it is. Exactly, yeah. and then it, it,
2: it's it's one of those where you're a, you're a witness but not a witness. You are mm-hmm. still lacking information, and that's but that story I didn't want to tell because you know there well, are not, lots of thriller type yeah. stories. So I wanted to do something. Fun and, uh, and fun, but not but serious. I mean, it's serious. It's about yeah. it's about communication. Now we don't listen to each other, and how we don't understand each other. I my right. favorite character in the story is my little my little girl. The little girl, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. my favorite. Oh, my little. As opposed to Trent. The, I don't like Trent.
1: Though. Well, no, Trent no, is Trent. but but Trent, <laughs> Trent is a type from Screwball. Yeah, right. type he, is, he's yes. a starchy boyfriend who right. who she's going to have. As a matter of fact, just a couple of weeks ago, just last week. I was watching Desk Set with uh, Catherine Hepburn. And, and who was Tracy. she
2: engaged to in Desk Set? She
1: was engaged to Gig Young
2: as well. Oh, Gig Young. Gig Young. Very well. <laughs> he's <laughs> Trent, same, character. <laughs> same and, character. But the interesting <laughs> thing about that movie, and I, 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 I don't know
1: if you had it anywhere in mind, but Spencer Tracy is a guy installing a computer in their company. Right. So he's the tech guy, he's kind of a nerdy tech right. guy. And, he is
2: the nerdy and, tech guy, and, and, and she's on the opposite side exactly. of him, and, yeah.
1: And, and it yeah. works out beautifully. So that yeah. kind of plot is. One of the yeah. things we should say, because I know people are going to read, people are going to see. This is a 500-page screwball comedy, which may be the longest screwball comedy <laughs> ever. It's not just a screwball comedy. But it, I was going to say, it does have a plot, and characters like the little girl or the crazed Irish aunt
2: yes. have important roles to play right. in the plot. So right.
1: that's one of the things that. Right, a good and part. it's
2: it's one of the, the the hard thing with with comedy is. Um, and I think sometimes it it fools people. I think my writing in general tends to fool people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get I'll get readers who come up to me and say, "Well, I read such and such, and then when I got to the end, I realized that all this junk that you had in this in there that was just random junk was actually like important, mm-hmm. and I should have been paying attention." <laughs> and I'm like.
0: This is not my fault.
2: This is not my fault. If you are used to reading books that are full of junk that isn't important, then I can't help you. But they'll say, well, now, now I'm going to have to read it again. I'm like, okay, I guess I have to train my readers to know if it's in there, it's there for a reason. It was twice as long and had to be cut. Well, I, so, I, 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 you know,
1: I think that there were characters. The characters in Blackout and All Clear, that I can't remember the names, but I think of them as the Cats and Jammer kids.
2: Yes, Alf and Vinnie.
1: Oh, Okay, and... And I, I guess I've been reading you long enough to know they, they, these these guys are going to do something. There's some there's right. some reason why we're getting these. They're not just They're not just
2: local color, right.
1: right? But but the fact that they oh, are they local, are local color, color and that they are funny and they have jo- you, right. know, you think, okay, this is just texture, and right? And you realize, no, it's actually part of the. Right. You know, Gene Wolfe does the same thing with no humor at all. You have to read every word, right. every paragraph. It all matters, and because it's so serious, I can't right. do that. Okay, I was, I was. Just to explain to our listeners, I was touching the damn desk. Well, they, no, they could hear you. Uh, okay, fine.
0: <laughs> Let's go back to something else. Well, what, oh, I, okay, what, yes, what, what I wanted to ask was, and it's obviously something of what you were saying. You finish blackout and all clear. You get on a panel and you get kind of annoyed at somebody. How do you get to cross-talking the next thing you want to do?
2: Oh, I, I don't know. That that was interesting because what was really up up next? You know, I have like a lead time of. 200 years on my stories, I get I get asked all the time to be in an anthologies by you also. And, and you'll say, you know, can you come up with a story, the deadline is September. What are you talking about? I have a lead time in 10 years on all my short stories. So it takes a long time for these things to stew. And what I was really planning to have up next was my UFO novel, my mm-hmm. Roswell novel. Uh, which is also it's also my road picture novel because I love road pictures oh, yeah. <laughs> and I've never written a road picture. Um, so and and it's the Southwest, which is my favorite mm. part of the country. So that was what the plan was. And then I don't know why this one just sort of I I part of it was just an image the the idea I love that I love that scene in in romantic comedies where the characters are in. What would ordinarily be a very romantic, in a romance, it would be a romantic scene leading to maybe lovemaking or something. But there are barriers in the romantic comedy. And hmm. and the barriers are heartbreaking. and um, But very, so you get these very romantic scenes. There's a scene in The More, The Merrier, which was remade as um, Walk, Don't Run. Mm-hmm. Um, with Cary Grant and Jim Hutton and Samantha Edgar, and in that movie, there, he's renting a room in her apartment. It's this Japanese uh, Tokyo apartment during the
1: Olympics.
2: During the Olympics, mm-hmm. yes, and yes, the Olympics, and um, <laughs> just separated by a very thin panel, and the two of them are lying there side by side in the bed and talking to each other. Mm-hmm. So it's it's this very intimate scene, but but with these really serious barriers together, mm-hmm. and I just sort of fell in love with the idea of these two characters who were just as intimately linked as it's possible to be inside each other's head, you know, mm-hmm. and yet and yet physically can't do anything about it, <laughs> and, and, uh, and it just, and, and there's something tragic about that, but also very romantic. And I hate romances, I have to say. I don't what worries me is when I say romantic comedy that people will think I've written a romance novel. I hate romance novels. What do you I, I you know, what I hate about romance novels, I realize I'm alienating three-fourths of the readers <laughs> in America from every place else. But you know, romances are all about they're about conquering and surrendering. They're about wooing and being one. They're about their their sharp power dynamic differences. Romantic comedy is about two people coming together as equals, figuring out how to battle it out as mm. equals, and then figuring out a way to be equals, work as a team uh, in their lives. And, and, and with sex it. it's <laughs> and it's And it's just, you know, it's, it's the most, to me, the most adult form of writing. It's the only adult form of genre writing that approaches what, mature adult relationships are like mm-hmm. and romances are not <laughs> romances are fantasies they're well fairy yeah fairy. And they're also
1: about power differentials I they're I about power
2: say. differentials yeah and you know uh they're they're not there is nothing appealing to me in romance at all i in fact i i just feel like it, in in romantic comedies they see through each other they don't fall for each other's facades at all, whereas it's all about facade in romance. Mm-hmm. The strong, husky, rugged guy and the beautiful woman. Um, they don't, uh, they help the person to be a better person, um, they fix everything all around them. You know, it's not, the reason that there are those mm-hmm. multiple marriages in Shakespeare is because when the two come together and work out their problems, it works out everyone's problems. It fixes families. It mm-hmm. fixes friends. It fixes all kinds of things. It fixes the world. And Shakespeare, of course, is my hero. He wrote the best romantic comedies there are. They're, they're just brilliant. And, mm-hmm. and so that's who I'm trying to copy. So
1: That's a, that's a hell of a of ambition. <laughs> and
2: I know and well I know I'm not doing it, but I, I'm trying. And Jane Austen also writes romantic comedy. She does not write romances. They're not romances. They're they're Elizabeth Bennett and Darcy are equals by the end. Not right, at the beginning, exactly. but by the yeah. end they have become equals and the they fix everything by being able to be better people. They fix everybody.
1: And they do it articulately and with wit, which is one of the things that is. is, and and to get back to why there's not more humorous science fiction, there's not a lot of wit in, in, well, I've never seen any wit in romance novels, but I've read three of them maybe in my whole life, so I could be misinformed. Uh, but characters talking in that kind of sharp dialogue, which is the kind of thing you get from Catherine Hepburn, right. and Spencer Tracy, right. and that sort of thing. And that must have been fun to write. I, Just a scattershot. You know,
2: way. it isn't how real people talk at all. It's how we all wish we could talk. <laughs> well, yeah, and, it's exactly. how, and it's how when you're in love with somebody, you feel like you're talking. Yeah. You know, you feel smart and you feel funny. And, and I've been at uh, science fiction dinners where, which is the only reason I've stayed in this field all these years, is I get to go to dinner with all these great, funny, hilarious people, and and when people are sparking, you know, it's yeah. just yeah. like it's like right. the Algonquin Round Table. It's so <laughs> cool, and everybody's really funny, and everybody makes everybody smarter and makes exactly. everybody yeah. funnier. And I so I feel like, uh, you know, we don't. When you're you're not re- writing realistic dialogue when you're writing romantic comedy dialogue because we really aren't that at that level all the time. Oh, I mean. But but you love to read. I loved. I could read Dorothy Sayers' Lord Peter and Harriet conversations forever. It's how I wish I could talk all the time. Well, how
1: somebody said this is these are the conversations you wish you had thought to say it after you exactly. left the dinner.
2: Exactly. And then you thought of it two nights got, later at midnight <laughs> and banned. Exactly. It was too late to say. But I'd like to also
1: add. <laughs> so yeah. But in addition in addition to the dialogue in, in this novel you have the the but well, the, the interior thoughts not just the telepathic right. right? So you've got you've got very sarcastic right commentary on what's actually being
2: said. Which is the way I'm thinking all the time. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> and it could be you couldn't do that in a movie, really. No, and, and you know, one of, one of my things is I always put stuff in my books that can then never be in a movie, and so then my stuff is never made in a movie. I'm like, this is somehow self-defeating, perhaps. But but I feel like when you're writing, if, if you're choosing to write novels as opposed to screenplays, mm-hmm. then you should be trying to do the stuff that books do better than movies. Yes. You know, because movies do lots of stuff better than books, and but there are other things that they can't do. They movies do not do point of view well. There are exceptions, mm-hmm. but most of the time no. Um, and they can't really do interior thoughts. They've found that voiceovers just, just don't work. Don't all. work w- with once again some really good exceptions, but but for the most part, you know, I was trying to do things that you couldn't couldn't do. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, temporal, way, I, so. I'm trying to remember if telepathy has ever been handled well in movies. And I'm not coming up yeah. with any examples.
2: Well, but on the other hand, romantic comedies I think are always at a disadvantage because in when they're written rather than in the movies, because in the movies so much is silence, you know, mm. it's the Yeah. There's a great scene in the movie Mumford where um she's in therapy with this guy and, and he's in love with her and um and of course he can't say anything because he's her therapist and and she comes in and she's furious and she flings herself on the couch and she says you have to fix this you have to fix this because I'm feeling transference and I know that's what it is it's just transference I think I'm in love with you but of course I'm really not because it's just transference and you're my therapist and you have to fix it and the look on his face of pure joy that she loves him and but also that he can't say anything to her it's just There's no way I could write that. There is no vocabulary for that. And every time I write a love scene, I come up against that. I try to fill it in with, you fill it in with action, and you fill it in with minor movements and things that... uh, but, but the whole time, I feel like I'm struggling because yeah. I'm not in the right language, because right. silence is the language of romance or
1: or, or, or or facial expressions, right. a, the reaction shots and that sort of right. thing. There's a movie, which I just saw last week, which I think you would love, called Florence Foster Jenkins.
2: Oh, I, we wanted to see that, and it wasn't Street. on yet.
1: And <laughs> so. the, the, the young guy who's one of the actors on Big Bang Theory, Simon Helper, yeah, Howard, uh, is, is, is her accompanist. And the first time he's hired, this is a horrible singer, real person back Truly in the early forties. And she never knew that she was horrible. She paid her husband paid off critics and made sure that nobody from I the actual press news. would hear a concert. She so hires this young guy and he's he's a ambitious pianist on his way up and he starts playing and she starts singing. And then for about, I'm gonna say ninety <laughs> seconds, the, the camera is on his face <laughs> as he goes through I need this job, but, and none of that is in dialogue at yeah, all.
2: Yeah, and how do you do that? I mean, I, I would be very hard put. You, you, you just have to structure the scene differently if you were writing. Exactly. It, I guess right. so. But it is, it is. I constantly come up against all the things I can't do when hmm. I'm writing. I wish I could.
1: Earlier, you mentioned something which I think is very important in the whole structure of science fiction, unintended consequences. Okay. And I think maybe most science fiction is about that. Frankenstein right. is about unintended That's consequences. That's right. Uh,
2: All literature should be about unintended consequences. Exactly. I mean, every,
1: every every invention, something's going to go wrong.
2: Right.
1: Uh, you send people into the past, they miss. Right. They don't hit for That's their right. and, and, and so They can't speak the language. Exactly. They're, they're so,
2: dressed wrong. Their teeth are too much. <laughs>
1: So my question is: Could we have science fiction at all without the law of unintended consequences? Has anybody written a story in which things just work out the way they're
2: supposed oh. to? Well, there's hardly any drama in that, I so guess probably so. not. But I I do see lots of people who really do think stuff's going to work. <laughs> I'm like, it's not going to work. It's not Even if it works, it's, it's well, not going to work the way you think it's going to work. That's
1: why I was fascinated when you were talking about science fiction fans who think telepathy would be great or immortality would be great. Because my reaction is, haven't you read any science fiction? It's all about right. how it doesn't work.
2: Right. And, it, and, and that's not a negative. I mean, that's not... It's not that we're just doomsayers, you know. But everybody... That's how you run your life. I mean, you have to... You have to know there's a my daughter is always screaming when she sees people ignoring unintended consequences mm-hmm. <laughs> she'll be didn't they watch Sesame Street when they were <laughs> because Sesame Street has this great animated sequence where the little girl has this balloon and she has this pin and she says I think I'll pop this balloon with this pin mm-hmm. and then she imagines she said then I'll pop this balloon Ooh, and it'll scare the cat, and it shows the cat running, uh-huh. and then and it's one of those where you add right. on each yeah, yeah. layer over time, and then she, and then it'll knock over the flower base, and it'll spill the water all over the books, and I'll get <laughs> to bed without my supper. So I guess that I'll <laughs> pop this book. And so she's like, "If people had just watched that, the whole yeah, world exactly. would work so much better," you know. But I see it; you see it all the time, and you see. You know, I've been watching the elections. Oh, oh my god, wow. the election campaign, and they say the most ridiculous things. And they <laughs> uh, and they're like, and you're like, this is not going to work the way you think it's going to work. No,
0: no, no. We're going to build a wall.
2: <laughs> We're going to build a wall. No, it's not going to work. Or even, I'm going to pivot. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: yeah,
2: it's just it's bizarre that people. I don't know. To me, this is just the normal way of thinking. So. I mean,
1: th- this happens with with TV. Comedians, obviously. It happens with writers who write humor. How can you keep up with what's going on in in the United States now? How can you compete with reality? I know. You
2: can't. Well, you can't. And I've been saying since, well, since (laughs) the appearance of Trump and long before, you know, if I tried to pitch a science fiction novel with this stuff in it, uh, there's no way. No publisher would buy any of it. It's totally unrealistic and over the top. So I, I do think that's hard. I do think, but comedy always has. I mean, it has just very limited sources they've been the same since the beginning of time and there you go after the people who deserve to go go, be gone after and this i think is a major problem where people try comedy and they don't really get it you know and they go after the wrong people but you you go after the powerful you go after Mm. the smug you go after the arrogant you go after the the, the people who have done something to deserve their takedown. You never go after the helpless. You never go yeah. after the poor. You never go after the person. You never punch down to the person who can't defend themselves. And um, and, and those targets, that we've there's always a bunch of those targets. They're everywhere. I, oh, yeah. I could pick any topic and write about it, you know, just from you know the point of view of science fiction. In fact, that was the, one of the problems with this book was trying to keep it from opening out too much because... Yeah. You know, because there's so many ways to go with telepathy. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and so many uh, possible <laughs> unintended consequences. Um, but i trying to keep it really focused. And yet, not just... I, the problem with having romantic comedy, and the reason that, like you say, maybe the longest one mm-hmm. ever written, um, is that it needs to be short because... Romantic comedy starts with the two people, but if it stays only about the two people, it's probably right. an inferior romantic comedy. It needs to be about society in some way. It needs to be broader than the two. Um, and there needs to be more at stake than just will these two people ever get in bed yeah. with each other. That's that's an interesting question, but it's not as interesting as other questions and, and it's not enough. It's enough to engage you for maybe an hour and a half, but not. not well longer. that's where that's where so. some of
1: the suspense comes really in the Second half of the novel, because once you've let this out of the bag, it's very clear that telepathy could mean the end of civilization. Exactly. And you could just turn this into a catastrophe. Right. Novel. So this is
2: just exactly it's like my other it's catastrophe. Right. <laughs> it's no different. It's just funny. So I hope it's funny. It's, just, uh, it's barely <laughs> <controlled, I mean. laughs> So
0: How did you find Bridie? I'm sorry. How did you find Bridie? You
2: find Bridie? Oh, are you kidding? I'm from Colorado. <laughs> We've been trying to live down Bridie Murphy forever. I read about her back in the 70s, I think. Yeah. and and actually went and got the book that was originally published and paperback. looked at the old uh, Life Magazine articles and all that at the time and was like and I still it, I, I never have come to a satisfactory answer as to whether she was just Manipulated by the hypnosis. People do remember all kinds of bizarre things under hypnosis um, and have all these recovered memories. And, of course, then I got interested again in it when there were all these recovered memories of sexual abuse. And it turned out the therapists were leading, asking leading questions and stuff. And that brought up the whole thing about what what happens when you are under hypnosis and stuff. So, uh, but, yeah, I was – I don't think she was – that she was the scammer. Yeah. I think maybe – well, I, you know, but I haven't decided that she could have been a, could have been an elaborate scam she was working could have been one he was working or it could more likely is one where they were both just idiots and and they it, the logical conclusion when this started happening was not to look back and say did you ever know anyone Irish when you were little right exactly <laughs> which because would have been a simple question <laughs> and would have put an end to the whole thing because it turned out that she had this she had this n- Irish nanny or nanny, something yeah. Irish nanny who had told her who spoke with exactly the same accent and had told her all this all these stories and taught her all these songs and stuff. But but what happened was they they both fell whoever fell for the story. It got out there in the public and once it did of course then the reporters started checking there was no such no no yeah. such person there was no such church where she was born and buried in there was no uh, she kept singing Danny boy which wasn't written until 15 years after yeah. this woman died yeah. supposedly I mean it, none of it held together and, and so
1: was your character pretty, though sounds like it was based on bright
2: I know but right? like it was I, I was, Well, <laughs> you, I guess, yeah. But certainly,
0: what well, did Bridie, did, did Brady give the space for Brittany, you know, the whole Irish connection and all that kind of thing?
2: Well, I'm Irish, so, <laughs> so I'm not going to give Bridie Murphy credit for anything, no. So, well, here's the but, other thing. But I'm, Plus, I was just in Ireland, so... Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. let's talk
1: about J.B. Ryan for a minute, then. Okay, because, oh, Ryan, right. uh, so, oh, my
2: God, Ryan is so... And, 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 and,
1: and John W. Campbell was completely so oh, wrong. Oh, my he God, was yes. It was one of the things that caused the loss of control of, of, of the science fiction field in the early 50s right. right. was Campbell right. going nuts. But one of the interesting, uh, because you have... Um, uh, all the research is there. I mean, uh, all the stuff that basically debunks the idea of telepathy is like a core part of your novel about telepathy. Right.
2: I know, I know. Which I think is a nice irony. It end. is. I always, I always like it. Like, like my UFO novel is about about a bunch of uh, UFO skeptics who are <laughs> kidnapped uh-huh. by an alien. You know? I mean, you know. So it's, it's so it, you know, Roswell was a, was a scam. But also, you know, yeah. it's cool if then you can make it true and a scam at the same time. So, um... But yeah, the the Rhine stuff is just when I went back and, and looked more closely at that research, it was just appalling. I mean you could see through the back of these. You the could cart. see through the back of these the the cards. <laughs> and that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was just that they, they did not have any they were not laboratory conditions. They had two people sitting across the table from each other. Poker tails, you know. I mean yeah. it's it's so simple. And then and then but but the worst was the gullib- either the gullibility or the scamming, whichever yeah. it was, of Ryan, where he would say, "Well, this is a people need to warm up. We have found that you <laughs> need to warm up to have this power, and then that that after you get tired, it goes away." In other words, they're just counting the sections <laughs> where they're getting favorable results, uh. which every statistician <laughs> yeah. knows. You can't do that. You have to count all the card tosses, you have to uh, coin tosses, all the card flips, and he wasn't doing any of those things. And when they when they put in the like put people in separate rooms and and fixed the back of the cards <laughs> and and counted the whole thing, they found nothing. Nothing, yeah. They found nothing, and they've never found anything. And and all the ones since the. You know the plant, the people who talk to plants, and the and the people who, if we all think world peace together at the same moment around the world, and all the nah, nothing, there is nothing. And I'm like, well, even if there was something, this isn't good enough. Either telepathy, you can hear people talk to you, uh-huh. or else yeah. nothing. It's not worth anything. So,
1: but they they fooled a lot of science fiction readers and writers
2: mm-hmm. back in the fifties. As I say, very gullible. So did
0: sea monkeys.
1: Well, that's true. You're right, and so did what was the guy uh, who had the underground Lemuria, Richard Shaver, mm-hmm. the Shaver Mysteries, which was uh, promoted by by Ray Palmer, which which always made me think that science fiction is attracted to complete irrationality, uh, even as it pretends to be the most rational right. problem solving form of right. literature.
2: Well, and I don't know if it's just science fiction. I was I was um, t- t- talking to a friend about a health problem, and this this woman is a scientist and she immediately said to me have you tried spiritual healing and i was like no I'm gonna go with like modern western medicine <laughs> and she goes, if you just tell yourselves I'm like, what? what are you talking about you're an educated person you're a scientifically educated person what are you talking about so i mean it's everywhere it's it's through our whole society this mishmash of goop that people believe. Well, I suppose so, but
1: doesn't science fiction at least pretend to be rational? It doesn't believe in spiritualism generally, I, I think.
2: It pretends to be rational. Mm. <laughs> that's the, oh, the nice thing say about
0: it. Science fiction isn't that coherent.
2: It isn't coherent, well, but I, I will say that, that science fiction audiences are the most scientifically educated yeah. and the most skeptical audiences of anybody I talk to. I would take a science fiction audience any day over a ladies' book group because mm. they'll believe anything. <laughs> and and do believe anything? They they have yeah. they believe in diet theories and they believe in spiritual healing and they and when I lost my cat and I was telling them what my what color it was so in case like one of them saw it you know and it mm. was wandering the neighborhood and they said, "Have you tried a cat psychic?" Cat and psychic? I said, "A cat psychic." Now I, let me get this: Is this a cat who is a psychic, or is this a person who is a cat psychic? And what are you talking about? <laughs> so, so I just, you know, so it's everywhere, and and I think in science fiction you would be more apt to get a skeptical, a skeptical response <laughs> to the cat psychic than you would outside.
1: Well, do you get the—I—I so, um, I, I, I don't want to say necessarily women's book groups because the Chicago Tribune every Sunday runs a picture of a book group, and they're mostly older people, and they're almost entirely white people. They're not all—they're ty- not all women anymore.
2: Yeah. But they never
1: read science fiction, it seems. They, they don't read they, any. They, 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 well, no. They don't they read talk books. About,
2: they don't read the books. They well, do not read the books.
1: Oh, that's true. You have that. Um, but you must have a readership that goes beyond science fiction. I and mean, you get on bestsellers. So, I do. So who's your broader readership? I don't know
2: who they are. I do, I do get read by women's book groups. That's mm. true sometimes. Um I, could, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those where I think it was more word of mouth than anything. You know, people mm. say, My mom introduced me to these books. And I had lunch the other day with a woman from England and her daughter who was getting married. And the woman had discovered me. And then the daughter had, she had convinced yeah. her daughter to read them. And her daughter had convinced her friends to read them. So I think it's more like that. Like out book there. by book. Book, book by um, book. Because I know when. So, um,
1: uh when Even the Queen came out just a story and I happened to show that to my stepdaughter and within a week everybody because that is one of the most popular stories I guess you've ever <laughs> read. That. <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. laughs>
2: That's what somebody
1: called it in the
2: review.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> so Roswell.
2: Yeah, that's Roswell. I mean, Roswell. I've
1: got your little nonfiction. I love
2: Roswell. <laughs> and, and, and it's so been. dumb. It's so beyond dumb.
1: But so. uh, that little travelogue you wrote about it with and all the museums and all the little side of the road places it's, are actually
2: like that. Oh yeah, it's truly weird. It, it's clear to me if you would go to Roswell, it'd be clear to you. Hmm. These people were bored out of their minds. <laughs> no one came there. Nothing ever happened. They thought, hey, yeah. and, <laughs> and there is a reason why it happened at Roswell, and that's it. Well, two reasons. One is Goddard did all his rocket experiments there, so oh, they were kind of that was kind of in the, the Z yeah. guys. And then uh, uh, there was an Air Force base right there during the Cold War, mm-hmm. and and Roswell, the Roswell crash was one of their secret projects which crashed. Mm-hmm. And the first person who arrived was just the regular guy from the Air Force base, and he didn't know anything about the secret project. He says, "Well, that's not ours. I don't know what that is." And then the next day, the guy said, oh, shit, that's one of ours. And so yeah. then they raced over and said, oh, nothing to see here. It's a Move wet. along. Right. <laughs> and so there was a cover-up, but it just wasn't – it was a cover-up of a secret program that they were doing um, regarding nuclear mm. testing in Russia. And so, you know, it, it, there's a logical escalation explanation For it. but the the thing didn't really take off till the 70s when I think people right? got bored. Yeah, it happened in 48, but then it all the push started in the 70s, and oh, that's okay. when they were bored and, and nothing was happening. And now they have hundreds of thousands of visitors every year. You can't argue, and it's them. not easy to get there, <laughs> right? It's either. in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> yeah. so it's a great but it's it's great. And one of the reasons I wanted to write this for a broader reason, I'm still the book is still kind of coming together, but mm. um. I wanted to write, I love books about the West, but they always have the same stock characters, you know. It's like, um, and I wanted to do some of the characters that nobody's ever seen in the West, you know. Um, I mean, the Westerns have their set of stock characters, mm-hmm. the old Westerns, and then the modern Westerns have their sort of set of stock
1: characters. Well, they're Cormac McCarthy. They're not nice characters at all. No,
2: they're not. But, but also they're just like, you know, you'd have to have, I don't know, I'd have to have all the different ethnic groups from you know, and I'd have to have all the different, different uh, political attitudes. Uh, yeah. I'd have to have like a a, a Bundy sort of you know. Uh, Serial killer guy. No, or, no, no, not Ted Bundy. Not Ted Bundy. Uh. The Bundy family, you know, the mm-hmm. the, the the rising up at a safe rebellion. Oh, the right, guys. Right, I'm right, Like right, I right, have right. no interest in any of that. So I thought I would like to explore some of the aspects of the West that nobody else mm-hmm. has, like the whole the whole casino thing which is just so fascinating that they populated the west with these casinos mm-hmm. and and but they're not they're not gambling this isn't Bugsy Siegel stuff this mm-hmm. is grandmothers who go there every single day mm-hmm. for the free lunch buffet you know <laughs> and lose their money to the slots which i find a fascinating character that i don't think anybody's written about and then and then i also i love the people who travel like the either travel route 66 with all the memorabilia, all, all that stuff. Movies. Or they, or uh, the guy I'm thinking of for my story is going to be visiting old western the sites where they filmed all the western movies. Mm. And because I love the sites where they film all the <laughs> western movies. And just that kind of people that so it would be a different look at the west. Um, I love, one of my favorite books is John Steinbeck's Travels with Charlie. And mm-hmm. He wanders around just talking about whatever happens to interest him in the country. And, and not trying to cover everything you know, but but just covering stuff that he thought was interesting, and so mm-hmm. that's kind of where I, that's where I am. That's kind of. Kind of.
1: You, 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 would you, love to have had the job I think that Calvin Trillin had for years at the New Yorker, which was basically to go anywhere he wanted to just, at their expense and write what he saw and write
2: what he saw and write, saw. Right. And write about yeah, and write about the food and write right. about and all this great stuff. And he's one of my favorite writers. So yeah, mm. yeah, that would be that's and 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 I remember he had a huge riff on. Revolving restaurants. Oh yeah! <laughs> By definition, you can't have a can never have good food in a restaurant that revolves. I was <laughs> like, yes, true. I think that is true. it's so,
0: <laughs> true.
2: But it was just sort of a random. <laughs> thing. I didn't really have anything to do with what he was writing about. I was like, that is so profound. <laughs> you know. So yeah. So that's what I thought. I'm mostly amusing myself, and I want well, to amuse others. And, and I and the whole idea of. I said this the other day to this group of scientists I was speaking to. Mm. Um, I said, you know, we have never been visited by aliens, and why would they come to us? Why? There is this little town in Colorado, Lyman, it's out in the middle of the plains. Mm. The only reason Lyman ever gets mentioned is if there's a blizzard. And people are trapped in Lyman. <laughs> <all around. laughs> so there are like seven motels in Lyman, which are never full, except when there's, a, there's a blizzard. A blizzard yeah. Okay. So I'm like, we're the Lyman. We're the Lyman <laughs> Colorado of the galaxy. No one would come see us unless there's a blizzard somewhere else in the galaxy. They got all mad. Really? They're like, why do you think they wouldn't come see us? Why wouldn't they come see us? I'm like, we're clear out on this arm. We're nowhere near the center of of anything. of anything. And why? What do we have that they would come see us for? Well, well why wouldn't they come see us? <laughs> I don't know. Why are you more have to go to London or New York than you are to go to Lyman, Colorado? So it, it's really weird. People are very. I, I,
0: I
1: had the same argument with somebody and I was making a similar point, not necessarily about Lyman, Colorado, but about this Tupelo, Mississippi, I think, or something. And the basic argument was this. It, 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 it was the. Um, oh, What's the, the Fermi paradox? You know, if they're there, why haven't they visited? Right, us? right. And and my response was, how many have you, have you ever met anybody from New York City here in Tupelo, Mississippi? No. Why would they come to Tupelo, Mississippi? Exactly. <laughs> if in New York.
2: Exactly. I'm just it's, so so. I thought this this was a really interesting idea that, that people are so determined. So then, of course, you, their first job when you're writing UFO story is why are they here? Why did they come? What, what are they doing here yeah. and and I think I come up with a good answer but,
0: okay, um, well, so we'll look forward to that too so,
2: but it's not because we're so charming or intelligent <laughs> trust me no. so.
0: well, given the amount of time it took to get from you know blackout and all clear to to crosstalk which isn't quite with us yet it seems almost ungrateful to ask how much longer till till the, the Roswell book do that you feel is
2: truly. A horrible question. <laughs> I I am so slow, you know, and I and I diddle doddle around, and I and I'm determined to work on some short stories because I totally neglected short stories, both during Blackout and All Clear, and then this last book. Mm-hmm. And so, which, the short story remains my absolute favorite thing of all time. So I'm, I, I don't I know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to predict. I hope I live long enough to finish it. That's my plan, is to live long enough to finish it. <laughs> so. i like to see short
1: stories. I mean, and, and, and some of them, again, some of the funniest short stories. I know one of the ones which I... I'm, I'm, I'm sure Courtney must have shown this to his colleagues. Was in the Late Cretaceous oh, because thank that's you. about academic. That, thank that you. is so so much what the academic And
2: it's so for. true, isn't it's it? It's completely true. true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I know. And well, we're all park, paranoid, and, and we and you all have parking Nazis, and, and we all have parking <laughs> Nazis, and we all
1: have consultants who are illiterate. Yes, you do. Uh, you become a. You, you become. I think. I think your theory was that every educational consultant is an ex-girl's gym coach or yes. something like that.
2: And I, and that was even before Dennis had. <laughs> <Yeah, right>, exactly. <laughs> so, so we've got yeah. that. So, and some
1: of the wonderful novellas like Bellwether, which uh, or a remake, which was your kind of your other movie-oriented yeah. sort of screwball comedy. Yeah,
2: novels, when, right. Uh, those were
1: lovely, and I haven't seen any of those lately. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I have lots of stuff I want to write, and I am some. I'm writing about a mysterious bookshop. I've always wanted okay. to write a mysterious You're bookshop wonderful. story, and uh, and then I'm writing a story about paper dolls, which played an inordinate role in my life. And so, um, I know I can't explain more than that, I'm sorry. You can't
1: explain why they played an inordinate role in your life?
2: No, you'll have to just (laughs) wait, you'll just have to wait for the story. But it's, uh, those are both fairly serious stories, but um, I do, I also have a a short, uh, Christmas short story in the works also, which is a comedy, of
1: course. Well, that's another thing we should, uh, because there is this acerbic, Nature, okay. To to your Christmas stories, one I want to because one of them talks a lot about how horrible it's a wonderful life is.
2: I know, and I feel bad now. Oh, you do? I do. I feel bad about that. I I don't take back anything I said, but I think that I maybe um, misjudged the the focus of that story. I it it is it's a. I, I used to be so furious that Mr. Potter gets away with everything and is still fat and mm-hmm. sassy and walking around free. Well, he's still fat and sassy and walking around free. Everything yeah. I've seen in the last 20 years has convinced me that's the correct ending for that story. Yeah. And it's really annoying to me because I hate that ending. Yeah. But, but uh, I'm, so I've rethought a few things. I still think the, the, the movie has lovely romantic comedy moments in it. It does. The conversation on the phone is just... Brilliant with the boyfriend, and then and Jimmy oh. Stewart and and Ego. <laughs> oh, great, great, great scene. Um, and but it isn't really a romantic comedy. And no. I think that's it's a it's really a drama, and it's really a very tragic story about the depression and how it thwarted people's lives. And, and how, John
1: Clute uses it as a dystopia.
2: Yeah, it really is. And it, and it's also but except that it is true. It's also true. My. Looking at my grandmother's life, she was a person who she never, you know, she had the Dust Bowl, and then she had the war, and then she lost her son in the war, and then her daughter died young, and her husband had a nervous breakdown, and she had no education, and she was (laughs) struggling the whole time, and she made this lovely life and was adored by everyone. She was Jimmy Stewart, and so, you know, and it's like, so who, she left this huge hole in the world when she left, and so I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Stewart. The movie is, is true in that sense. Okay. Jimmy Stewart leaves a huge hole in <laughs> yeah. when he isn't there anymore, and and uh, those people we need to we need to applaud more often. So I I I, I don't take that anything. I still think *Miracle on 34th Street* is a better movie, but n- now I like *It's a Wonderful Life* better.
1: Well, that's news that you
2: heard his first. Two on podcast.
1: Connie Willis says, rehabilitated. <laughs> we're not alive uh-huh, unless we are learning. Right? right, exactly.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we have to pivot to the end of the podcast now because you have somewhere to go. Yes. So I think we have to say thank you. There's a lot we could talk about still. I'd love to talk to you about whether you think how science fiction is still relevant to everything today, how things like Stan Robertson saying that, you know, interstellar travel can't possibly work and we all have to stay at home. Oh, that's right. Really all cool. these kind of things. Yeah. But they're for another time. Okay. Thank you very, thank very you. much for taking the time to talk to us. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. And we hope we get to talk to you again sometime soon. Alright,
2: chapter two coming. absolutely. Right. Okay, thank you. <laughs>